Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Candace, I'm so glad to get to talk to you again. I've missed you. I know I say it every single week, but from week to week, I really do miss you. And I was thinking about you a lot this week because there was a lot that changed in the WNBA, even without making this decision about the season. We saw cuts made to nearly every single roster. Women who had been drafted that didn't get an opportunity this season to play in an NCAA tournament, to to go to training camp and to earn a spot on a roster now won't get a paycheck. And feeling like this opportunity has been just taken for so many. That's the biggest realization of the times that we're in right now is the fact that you have players that have gotten drafted that have not gotten the opportunity to prove that they can make a WNBA roster. And I know that there was a lot of talented players last year that came in that were drafted in the second or third round, and they made a team through proving themselves in training camp. And this year, because of um, the necessary cut to 12 players per roster, we have 12 teams, 12 players per roster. I mean, that's, that's tough. And I mean, opportunity comes around very few times. And so when you start to think about this might have been one or two opportunities for some of these young women in the NCAA tournament during this time. I mean, that's, um, it's really tough. Well, and really and not only does the opportunity come around so seldom, there are very few for women who play basketball at the highest level. There are, that, simply, simply put, there are very few. Have you been told anything more now as some of these decisions have been made about what your season could potentially look like? Well, first I want to touch on the first thing you said. 1% of all NCAA women's basketball players get drafted into the WNBA, 1%. And so, you know, one of my teammates, Tierra Ruffin-Pratt, she, you know, was doing a, a roundtable about undrafted players. I mean, you think about Becky Hammond would not have made a roster in the WNBA if it would spend her year coming in. She was undrafted coming in. And with the opportunity to go to a training camp and prove yourself. And I think we've seen, even in sports, with Giannis Antetokounmpo, how much opportunity <laughs> there can be when you have, you know, you, you, you're able to go out, prove yourself, learn and grow. But if to never have that, um, that's got to be tough. Kristen, I forgot your second question because I kind of got, <laughs> I kind of got a, a, yeah. A little I sad. like when you're passionate. I, was passionate I like about when you're it, passionate. No, the second part of my question was just whether or not you had heard anything about what the WNBA season could look like. Well, I do know that there are key dates. June 1st, all rosters have to be cut down to, to 12. Uh, with that being said, under our new CBA, the players are going to receive their first paycheck. So as of now, those are the only two dates and two things that are for sure. Third and being trying to figure out a single site location, our commissioner came out and said that, you know, we are, we don't have anything de definitive. We're kind of like the NBA. We don't want to set a date. And I, I value that. I mean, you look at the MLB that's setting a date for games in which there are no fans that are going to be able to attend. What is the point of setting a date for that? You know, I mean, the fans are going to watch the games. Uh, Casey Stern and I were talking about this this morning on NBA TV. Like, the fans are going to watch. So I, I like the way that WNBA is handling things. I don't think we're any different. I think we may be a little bit more optimistic, but we're in a similar situation with the NBA where we're trying to wait and see. 
we have seen a lot this week as far as the NBA's return to play scenarios. Of course, nothing official as far as saying, yes, this is happening and, and here's the day that it's going to go down. Um, but we have seen a lot of potential return to play formats, uh, the playoffs being formatted differently in a lot of these different scenarios. Is there a format that you're most intrigued by? I was most intrigued, one, by Mark Cuban. Yes, same. His scenario, first of all, it does not benefit the Mavericks. If anything, it hurts them in his scenario. And I mean, Kristen, you'll probably do a better job of explaining the actual scenario. So for those who didn't hear what Mark Cuban had to say, he essentially suggested a plan that would include all 30 teams. They'd play five to seven regular season games before a play-in tournament to determine the final two playoff seeds. So essentially the top 10 teams from each conference would qualify for the postseason. Then there would be those two play-in matchups he's talking about with the 17 seed playing the 20 seed and then 18 and 19. And those winners go on to play 15 and 16 for those final spots in the playoff bracket. So it would include everybody. As you mentioned, he's taking a look at it from uh, the bigger picture with the NBA as a whole. And it gives some of those teams that are sitting just outside the playoff picture right now an opportunity to play in. It's interesting because it, it, one, doesn't give the Mavs a competitive advantage, which you've got to respect Mark Cuban for that. But also, he calculated that there would be only two teams in Minnesota and Golden State that could not qualify for the postseason. Like, percentage-wise, they could not qualify. And so basically, you have 28 teams that are competing to play in a playoff scenario, which I think is a good look. And I understand from a revenue standpoint, people are going to watch what's on television. Even though people probably wouldn't watch these games if they were held in April at the end of an NBA regular season. Like, my question is, what is the difference between... We know that. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> what are the difference between these games? Because people are bellyaching about that. And the games that don't matter in April, where guys sit out. I mean, we saw LeBron when he was with the Cavs, when they clenched... In back in February, not play for 10 days. If you're asking from a fan standpoint, it's because April after April after April, we see these games that we know mean nothing. And we know in a week or 10 days or so, the games, every single one of them until mid-June are going to matter. At this point now, though, it's been months since anyone's seen any basketball. So I think they'd watch you know, in July, one of those quote unquote regular season games, as opposed to watching a meaningless game in April, solely because of the stretch of time, they haven't gotten to see any of it. But from the other side, as a player, I'm going to ramp up. I'm going to train. I'm going to put all this work into something and risk the possibility of getting hurt. From a franchise point of view, I'm paying somebody 200 and something million dollars have put the franchise tag on this player and they're going to play play-in games for, a, for what chance? And I just think that I don't know if a scenario can include all 30 teams because Golden State is not going to put Steph Curry back on the floor. That was the only issue I took with Mark Cuban's proposed plan. I love his playoff idea because I think it's enough to the current playoffs that you'd potentially respect a champion named – but as far as including all 30 teams, again, that was the only issue I took in thinking about the risk as opposed to the reward. The likelihood is that the Atlanta Hawks, sitting a couple of miles down the street from me, are not going to win this NBA championship. 
So why is it that you risk not only injury, but of course, this very real virus that they're trying to create a bubble in order to exclude? Why risk that for so little reward? I, I can entirely understand that point of view as a player as well. So are you agreeing with the World Cup format in which, you know, obviously Adam Silver, huge soccer fan, has said that he wants to, to have something of that sort in the middle of the season to get fans excited um, and watching NBA basketball. But to have a World Cup format in which basically only 20 teams would come and report to Orlando, it would be, you know, basically top 20 would be ranked. You divide them into groups. They would be divided into tiers. And as we've seen in World Cup, I, I love soccer, there is a scenario where you could have a group of death in which you have the Trailblazers, the Jazz, the Rockets, the, I mean, all these teams that are really good and put them with the Bucks. And now this is an unfair playoff scenario for the Bucks to even reach the NBA playoffs when they were in the driver's seat before this pandemic. I was a proponent of including something like that even during the regular season before any of this happened. So I think it'd be really cool to see as well. I think, though, what we have to keep coming back to and considering is what there's an asterisk, asterisk, I, we don't know how to say it, either of us, but, you know, next to whoever is named champion, because I think the further you stray from what we've known the playoffs to look like, you know, season after season after season, the less respect the champion named is going to gain. I agree with you. I don't know if there's an asterisk. Nailed it. <laughs> by, by San Antonio for winning during the lockout. This year, I do think short-term there may be. But honestly, I think it's, it's going to be harder this year. But I do think that the balance the NBA has of trying to make it fair for the players and make it interesting for the fans is going to be, it's going to be a unique balance for Adam Silver. I mean, I don't envy them at all. We had Damian Lillard on the show earlier this, well, I say earlier this season, but it was only weeks ago. Goodness, these days. It was are, years ago. <laughs> but he did go on to say, well, so he told us then he wanted an opportunity to, to make the playoffs the way that he would have if the season hadn't been suspended. This week, then he added, he said, if we come back and they're like, we're adding a few games to finish the regular season and they're throwing us out there for meaningless games and we don't have a true opportunity to get into the playoffs, I'm going to be with my team because I'm part of the team, but I'm not going to be participating. I'll tell you that right now. Do you agree with his comments? I agree. And I say, I say it like this. The NBA cannot step in and make this decision. I think it has to be, like in the real world, a company-to-company, organization-organization decision. Because if that happens with an individual player where the NBA steps in and makes a decision, then what happens when the New Orleans Pelicans decide they don't want to risk it for Zion Williamson? and they sit him, or Golden State decides to sit Steph Curry. I think it has to be dealt with within the organization, and if the organization's okay with that, then, you know, as a competitor, I don't think it's fair for you to be on the cusp of something. I mean, you have a Memphis Grizzlies team that was going to play the toughest schedule in the NBA in the remaining... Oh, yeah, I don't see them returning to play without giving Zion the opportunity to compete in the playoffs, without giving Dame the opportunity to compete in the playoffs. I mean, even uh, 
take the games out of it from a purely business standpoint, you want those guys to have an opportunity to be on the biggest stage. And who doesn't want, let's say that the playoffs are the exact same way that they've been for years. Who doesn't want to see Dame Lillard face the LeBron-led Los Angeles Lakers in the first round? Like whatever it may be, for him to have the opportunity to play his team into the playoffs, that I want to see. That any NBA fan would want to see. I just don't think at this point, because every single one of these days since mid-March when the season was suspended have been about weighing risk and reward. Like, what are we losing here as opposed to what we're gaining? I don't see, when it's all said and done, the NBA proposing a scenario where they're risking any of these players or their family's health in order to play unnecessary games. I just don't. I don't see them risking it, but there's going to be so many factors that go into risk versus reward. I mean, we, we spoke with Spencer Dinwiddie. And he has been very active on Twitter. And he was speaking about how, like, so are, if there's 20 teams that return to play, are those 20 guys going to be compensated more because they're putting their family and friends and themselves at a higher risk? How is that involved? If 10 teams that aren't included in the 20-team scenario want to continue to play, are they just not going to get paid at all? I mean, there's other factors that are involved in all of this. And I think that these decisions that are made today are going to be in effect for years to come if you think about it. I mean, think about, God forbid, a guy goes out there and gets hurt because he was thrown out there after two or three weeks of training camp after doing nothing. The reality is there is no possible way to eliminate this risk. There's no possible way to eliminate the entirety of risk itself. They've got to decide what's best for the players, what's best for the league. Again, there's just no way that you get any reward from this NBA season without great risk. You know what? Let's ask DeAndre Jordan. He is on a team that would be competing for playoff position if the NBA were to return to play. He's on the line right now. And we also want to talk to him about Blackballed on Quibi, a new docuseries detailing the end of that Donald Sterling era in LA. He's coming up next. Welcome to Brooklyn, man. Thank you, man. I'm so excited to be here. Spencer Dinwiddie back in. Finding Jordan for the deep bomb. Devoured by DeAndre. I've told him many a time on my starting five of players and people, DeAndre Jordan. I'm not just saying that because you took the time during these days to join us either. I've told you that before. I'm so busy right now, you know, so you guys are very lucky to have my time right now. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. prioritizing this. Well, I mean, speaking up, what have these days looked like for you? They started out, you know, kind of fun, like I was on vacation, like a field trip. But it's, it's not, it's, it feels like the off-season, but it's not the off-season because you can't hang with your friends, you can't travel. There's a lot of things you can't do, so it's been, it's been tough. So I had to kind of get a, a routine back together to keep me sane somewhat. Well, I've been trying to tell Kristen that there's a difference between quarantining alone and with family and quarantining with a child that is under five. Oh, yeah. So 
<laughs> we were going through games earlier in the year and she was saying all these people she wanted to quarantine with. And I'm like, but do you do realize they have children? <laughs> so how, not that I'm against kids, you know, Candace loves the kids, but we have to be realistic. Quarantining with a child under five, how has that been? It has been a roller coaster. Um, I think that if I, if I wasn't working out right now, I would get enough workout time in with him. Uh, whether it be cardio or me having to pick him up every five seconds because I'm a monster and I'm like terrorizing the backyard. So that, that it's been pretty fun, but there are a lot of, you know, kids are awesome and they want and love repetition. So those games, and that's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. For them, it's like, this is the first time I'm doing this. But for me, it's like, this is the 2000th time I'm doing this. So it's like, it's, it's crazy, but it's so much fun to be able to interact with my son because, you know, during the season, you don't get as much time as we're getting now. You only get that during the offseason. So I'm definitely taking Quick, though. Has he said, has he mastered look? Because my daughter now is in the look phase. Yeah. And every time I look, I feel like so disappointed. Like, why did I just? Oh, yeah. Why did I do that? Because it's the same. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. He's like expanding his vocabulary a little bit. He's like, hey, let's throw these. In here, and I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, you can actually see the rocks go down, and I'm like, yeah, you can actually see. Them. <laughs> actually, it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm a sponge. I'm letting him teach me whatever. I kind of give him the, the, the schedule, but we try to keep it somewhat of a routine. Throw some schooling in there a little bit, and try to make it fun for him. But you know, these times are so, it's, it's so weird. But we're just trying to make it as fun as we can. It's the question we have to ask everybody. And I feel like the answers are always the same. What is it that you've been told about the potential return to play scenarios? It changes every day. And people are, so what are they saying? Are you guys getting updates? What's happening? I'm like, we're getting updates, but it changes every day. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so as many people put out tweets and all of this stuff, it's, Candace, you obviously know, like there's a process to all of this stuff and we have to kind of ride that way. But we obviously want everybody to be safe and um, out of harm's way before we can come back and play. There's been a lot of players that have been outspoken about health concerns just with COVID, but also individual health concerns in terms of their career. Because as we right. know, you know, we're not the youngest kids on the block anymore. Yes. <laughs> veteran. Veteran is the term. Yeah, veteran. I like that. Seasoned, Kristen. Seasoned. And it does take a lot longer for us to get our bodies back into shape, no matter what you're doing at home. Right. I mean, we're training Rocky style right now. So I'm um, lifting water jugs and things like that. But ideally, in your mind, how long do you think it would take to get going, get back going with training camp? Man, that's, that's tough because we had already played 60-plus games, so guys had had rhythm. You know, this is a good time for guys who were injured during this time because they can obviously heal. But as far as a, as a, a rhythm thing goes, I, it, it's tough because, you know, some guys don't have the – right kind of workout scenario situations at home. Some guys live in apartments and they don't have certain things. So other guys have an advantage at this point if they live in homes. The whole two weeks thing, I think that's a lot. You know, I think it's it's very fast to ramp up for two weeks and get back into optimal professional athlete shape to play. I think, you know, I'm just concerned about everybody's bodies. But I think that, you know, for the for the majority of the league, I think that we're doing we're pretty mature and taking care of our bodies. So hopefully everybody's on that route. But I think we need longer than two weeks. That's just my personal opinion. Because you never want injuries to happen or guys not to be ready when they're supposed to be out there because that only makes our, you know, it makes our league a little nervous and it makes us nervous as players. So we want to all be healthy. Well, because you're not getting ready for a season you're getting ready for 
playoff level basketball, which is very different. I know you've seen the same way that we've seen all of the proposed scenarios, a lot of different playoff formats. Is there any one that you like the most or that intrigues you most? Well, for me, I'm concerned about our team. And, uh, you know, I think we're seven seed right now. So for us, I'm like, you know, if we come back, I don't want to have to, you know, for us to have to, you know, play to get into the playoffs because I think we, you know, we did our work early and, you know, for a lot of teams. So I may be speaking for a lot of teams. We did our work early in trying to come out and position ourselves in a situation to come out for the postseason. And I think it's a little tough. You have guys who are close in that race, some guys who are not teams, I'm saying. So it's just, it's tough because this time of the season, we're already in shape. We already have rhythm. We're gelling, working on in the game, in the, you know, those type of situations. So it's, it's kind of like you're starting over, but you're starting to race at the final stretch. That's a little weird for, for, for me. I just think that with all this time uh, that we've had on our hands, for me, I didn't know I was an artist. I didn't know that I played the piano. There's a lot of NBA players that are putting things out on Twitter and on Instagram of new things yeah. that they're doing because we're more than just athletes. Right. Yeah. What is that that you're doing at home? Are you into art? Are you music? Are we going to get a DeAndre Jordan like mixtape being released? Like, what's I'm working. I'm working on my EP right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see what happens. No, I'm I'm drawing a lot of uh, ABCs, one, two, threes, yeah. stick, figure, <laughs> stick figure people. Okay. If you don't do it correctly, one of the arms has to be longer than the other one or you have to start over that's how we do it here but no I'm um I've been doing a lot of puzzles and I never was a puzzle guy so but I think it's just something that keeps me locked in to some kind of order you know and I, I love the guitar so I've been playing the guitar I'm a terrible guitar player so if anybody wants to join the band you guys are more than welcome no tryout series yes yeah we're in uh, <laughs> no tryouts. you guys just come on We'll take whoever. We're like the village people over here. So yes, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just I'm just trying different stuff, and it's cool. It's, it's funny that you say that because guys are putting it out now. When normally, you know, guys, because then I'm vulnerable. Like I'm open to people for criticism. But I think during this time, everybody knows that people are just doing the craziest thing. So it's like, oh, like he's not bad for a basketball player. Like that sounds pretty good. I'm cool with those. Like if I need, yeah. oh, he's not bad for a basketball player. He's good at another thing, so we can't be good at everything. Yeah. <laughs> We have, though, gotten the opportunity to watch this new series, Blackballed, that you're obviously playing a huge role in detailing those days during the 2014 NBA playoffs uh, when you, Doc Rivers, Chris Paul, the entirety of your team led this unprecedented movement. I mean, at that point, there was no team that had dealt so publicly with something like you had dealt with. Why, after this many years now, we're six years out, did it feel to you, still important to retell this story? I think it is important because, you know, regardless of how the tape got released, you know, it's still alive in the society and the the world that we live in today. Obviously, you know, we see these things going on every day and the most recent was horrible. So it's, it's something that it can never be released too early, too late because it's ongoing. And I think that they did a really good job at giving it some time to kind of progress and, and go to wherever it go went to and us kind of tell our stories later because during that time I think it was a little fresh it was sensitive and with Steve Ballmer coming in to buy the team and start a, start anew it was kind of like we want to forget that and kind of focus on this 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 forward movement that we're doing and 
now I think it was the perfect time for it to come out and show how outspoken we were as players and how we had a, a whole country behind us. That was great to that was great to have. There's quotes on the internet as well as within the documentary that that speaks to how it was no secret that Donald Sterling was a racist. It was brought to many people's attention. Yeah. But what was so unbelievable was hearing the tape of it actually being declared him being a racist and him saying and, and making racist remarks, especially in today's society where we don't believe something until we see it or we hear it. You guys as players changed that narrative. And did you feel a responsibility in kind of shouldering social justice on your shoulders as the NBA has done in, in, in years past? I think that the words that were said throughout that entire conversation, it's funny and it's ironic because the words were to separate people and separate us as human beings and keep a border between people. But what we did as players and I feel like as an organization was the total opposite. And then when we had the entire city of Los Angeles behind us, the state of California, the country, it did the total opposite and brought everybody together. So I think that it was almost like a blessing in disguise, almost. I, I don't even want to call it, I don't even want to give it that good of a, a thing because it's like, um, you know, that negative we turned into a positive and, you know, we weren't going to let one person or a handful of people separate us as players and teammates. And we had love for each other. We still do. We still talk to this day. And I feel like that's something that's very important. And, Candace and Kristen, as you know, like sports brings us all together. And I think that if it wasn't for sports and wasn't for that team aspect, you know, who knows what would have happened during that, during that time. Candace and I talk a lot about when to speak up, mm-hmm. when to be silent solely in order to listen. And it can be paralyzing, not knowing exactly what to do and when or when it's too soon or when it's too late. And in that series, you explained that early on, you were the first one in your team to speak up and you said, I'm not playing. What ultimately convinced you that playing again was the right move? Because, uh, you know, Doc really helped us out on that. You know, Doc's a great speaker and he's, he's an honest speaker. Um, and he's dealt with some prejudice in his past, obviously. I think that one of the the things that he said most was when you were coming up and you wanted to be an NBA player, you didn't want to win a championship for an owner that you probably didn't even know. And the hard work that we had put in, you know, from that season before the entire summer, that whole year dealing with all, all types of stuff. We didn't want to just give up our chance to, to compete and to contend for foolishness. That's somebody else said that we didn't even say, you know, so it, it it was tough because we didn't, you know, we we're just we we're emotional at that time. But I'm, I look back and I'm, I thank the universe that we had some time in between games to kind of process and like level ourselves before we went out there and you know did something crazy that we may have regretted ten years later or later on down the line. And um, I think we did a really good job and we were mature about that. The statement "bigger than basketball" has been said a lot. In, in social justice in sports when when sports and athletes are are stepping up and and saying what they need to say back in in 2017 LA Sparks we were faced kind of with a similar situation in that 
you know, it was Ka Kaepernick and kneeling and, you know, are we going to stand for the national anthem? And a lot of WNBA teams kneeled and we decided to go back in the locker room and we faced a lot of backlash for that and making a decision as a unit and as a team. But what would you say to those people that are opposed to, to, to athletes being activists and athletes making a stand and, and standing up for what they believe in? I think that I would say to those people, you know, we're human beings first before we are athletes. We bleed, sleep, cry the exact same way that anybody else on this planet does. So we, we have those feelings and, you know, we are blessed enough and fortunate enough to be able to escape a lot of those things when we go to work. But, you know, when something's in your face every day and it's at this point, it's bigger than race. It's like our makeup as a, as a whole, as, as, as humans, you know, we got to be able to take care of each other. You know, what we're doing now is, is, is bad, but hopefully we can try to try to fix it. But the only way that we can is having players and media outlets, whoever it is, be outspoken and, and, and say, you know, I don't agree with this. You know, this is not right. As times have changed, social media has helped a ton to get people's messages out there. And I think that the, whoever has stepped up, they've done a great job because it's, it's contagious. How then would you encourage younger players, young men, young women who are being given a platform for the very first time, not necessarily knowing how to navigate, navigate it, but knowing that they want to speak up? Even at the age of 31, sometimes I don't know how to navigate it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I know what I want to say, but I want it to come off correctly. I don't want to say anything I don't mean or get my words twisted. I just have time to be able to put it into how I want to deliver it. So I would think if you want to say something and you're nervous about it, you know, just be as honest as possible as you can be because nobody's going to judge somebody for being honest about a situation that is being talked about and it's not right. You know, a lot of people know right from wrong. Well, most of us, and nobody's gonna be negative or get on somebody for speaking about something that's wrong. During a time like that, you have to lean heavily on your teammates. Oh yeah. And Chris Paul, head of the Players Association, you got Matt Barnes that spoke out a great deal. Very outspoken. Uh, to, say the, yeah. to say the <laughs> least. Yes. Yeah, but we're, we're talking about this situation in particular, but yeah. every situation as well. Yeah, but. <laughs> but you have people like that on your team. You have Doc Rivers, obviously an amazing leader through all of this. And I had a lot of respect for Doc before this and even more after. As a team, just in terms of the different personalities that you had to come together to make this decision, what was the ultimate decision in playing with your shirt inside out and coming out and throwing it into the middle of the court? I thought that that really was kind of a symbol that's in everybody's mind when they think of this, um, this instance. We had a lot of different characters on our team. You know, we, had, we obviously had Chris, Blake, JJ. You know, we had some European players on our team. We had young, old, whatever it was, everybody was very upset and race had nothing to do with it. Everybody was upset and we all didn't stand for that. And we knew that we played for the Clippers, but we all ultimately we played for each other. And that's something that we wanted to let everybody know that we were together during this and we were a unit. We weren't going to splinter at that time. And uh, I think it was Matt who came up with the idea of, you know, either wearing stuff out inside out and, 
we played for the Clippers, but we weren't playing for an owner. We were playing for each other, for Doc, and for our fans. And that was that, that was it. So I think that that was very subtle but powerful from what we did. You and I talked at the start of the season, and we talked about teams with championship expectations adding a guy to the roster who consistently led consistently brought joy and I told you at the start of the season I thought that you would be that for the team that you're on right now how do you think that that situation then that that experience learning to lead learning to be vocal learning to continually bring joy to a situation that lacked it how did that shape you as a leader now um well I had a great leader and a great point guard veteran guy on our team Chris Paul obviously who is the epitome of a leader. He is a pit bull, you know what I'm saying? He can get under your skin, on your team or not. And I think that, you know, the great ones have that. So he, he taught us how to, you know, he led by talking and by example. So we were able to pick up a lot on that. And I think during that situation, uh, I'm a very emotional person, so it was hard for me to kind of hide those things. But once I knew that all of my teammates were behind me and we were all behind each other, that is something that can never be broken. And um, that, that was really good. And just to be in that tough situation of something that's bigger than basketball, when it comes to being a leader of basketball, it should be easy because that was like real life problems. And this was just, you know, us up, up or down 15, like we can, we can, you know, <laughs> yeah. that situation I think helped propel a lot of us as leaders and, uh, and as activists. And all that going on and you guys had to play a play. I mean, Kristen said it earlier, like, you guys were good. This isn't just, you know, this isn't a team that was 500 that was trying to play to get in the playoffs. Like, you guys were competing for a championship. Do you ever look back, and I understand that it is bigger than basketball, and what you guys did really moved the, the change that was necessary forward. But do you guys ever look back on that season and think, what if? Uh. I think I look back on a couple of seasons that we had, I think, what if, but that was definitely one of them. I think we had one of our most talented rosters. Um, guys were playing at high levels. We had beaten a Golden State team who had, you know, the next year won championships. So it's tough to think about, but, you know, we got to give Oklahoma City credit. You know, they beat us in that second round and, you know, some questionable calls. As, uh, <laughs> as, as, as players, we're always going to say there's some questionable calls. But, you know, they did what they were supposed to. They came out, they, they beat us in game five and game six. And um, that, was, that was heartbreaking for us because, you know, we thought we had it. And at that point, things just kept resurfacing and kept resurfacing. So it was kind of hard to stay locked in on one team when you're thinking about, you know, uh, a nation of, of problems. But, you know, that's – that's, that's the nature of the beast. That's our job. And uh, it, it was tough, but hopefully I'll give another shot. <laughs> well, okay. So do you think that this season, any team may feel the same, but feel that sense of what if? Like, because Candace, we're not going to argue about the proper way to say asterisk, right? Well, she gets it right. Can you say asterisk? Because it took me forever to not say asterisk. Just by Either the way. way. I, I, Will I, there I be? I the way, the second way. I say asterisk. Same. I say asterisk. And apparently that's not correct. So. But they've told us that's not right. right. I don't know. Asterisk. Asterisk. Hmm. Either way, will there be one of those? I think <laughs> there will be an asterisk and an asterisk next to 
All right. So do you think so? Like whoever wins, whatever ends up being the playoff format, you know, down at wherever it may be, and perhaps Disney World from what we're hearing, will there be that next to the the champion's name? (sighs) Maybe. I think it depends on like who wins. You know, it's true. Um, and whose fan you are, like if you're. I mean, it's true. I, I think it depends on who wins. Um, but you know, as, as players, we're not going to look at it as an asterisk at all. Because oh, I'm sorry, an asterisk at all. I'm like, we're not going to look at it as a little tiny star. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, we work we work our butts off, you know, for months for for an opportunity to go to the postseason, let alone win the championship. So I think that you know, players will will. We'll take it seriously. Candace, I don't think there's any way to like flawlessly transition to asking him to mock Charles right now, but could you do your Charles Charles impersonation? Thank you, Kristen. I was like all over trying to figure out how to, like, how would Chuck say asterisk? Yes. (laughs) Such a a meaningful conversation, and yet we really want you to do your Charles impersonation. (laughs) Uh, Let me me, me tell you something. Uh, Kristen, uh, Candace, (laughs) I don't know how the hell you said that word, but I I know I ain't going to say it right. So that's it. That is like, you close your eyes, you listen to that, you think we're talking to Charles. And I just asked you, yeah. I said, was there anything that you've, de- like, there's a talent that you... Oh, that's, that's old news. I mean, that's I know old that's news. old news, but that's, I mean, that's something that you could, you got a future in that. That's how you know I watch a lot of you guys on TV is because I can <laughs> Yes. Well, you should be like TikTok famous for doing impersonations. Yeah, I'm just going to travel all around the world and do uh, Charles Barkley comedy shows <laughs> do can you do anyone else on tnt i mean you know shaquille's got a pretty distinct voice greatest greatest player in the world barbecue chicken give me the ball in the balls <laughs> I, I love Shaq. i love Shaq, but Charles Barkley's probably better than any of the other ones i can do so. so is this something you just stumbled on one day and you were just like wow i can do chuck or is this something you like <laughs> sought out and were like i'm going to perfect that you know, people make fun of people, how they talk, and then it's kind of like, oh, I wonder if I could do a voice like that, and then it just kind of happened, and I was like, oh. Well, we make fun of them all the time, but we don't sound as good as that. Like, yeah, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going. and I don't know how it got out, but somebody was like, I heard you could do a pretty good Charles Buckley, and I was like, oh. All right, here we go. Well, and then it became very public when you did the Space Jam reading yeah. and had to play Charles. We were watching that actually just a few minutes before talking to you. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. We just introduced my son to Space Jam. So now when we come outside and shoot, he always said, Daddy, we have to turn on the Space Jam before we can play basketball. Uh-huh. And he like holds the ball and then waits for the beat to drop and then we can start playing. <laughs> so when it was on, like I did the Charles Barkley thing and he kind of looked at me like, what? what was that, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, we're doing it all over here. Nailed it, nailed yeah. it. DeAndre, thank you so much for taking the time to join. I'm going to pretend it's not because you weren't just doing nothing today and you actually like, you prioritized us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have a ton of meetings. So yeah, I appreciate thank, you guys. Thanks for squeezing us in. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Stay healthy. Thank you guys. Y'all stay safe anytime, man. I really appreciate it. You know, Kristen, this week, I know we normally end the show with a what's good segment and just being completely honest uh, today after the video that I saw of George Floyd and what occurred in Minneapolis, I really struggled 
uh, to find the words to, I know there's so much good in the world and I don't take that for granted. I'm thankful for my health and my safety and my family, but a family lost a loved one and they don't have that to be thankful for. And it's just heavy on my heart. And I guess the positive I can take is that people are stepping forward on a platform like in social media and sharing their feelings and their words and, and how wrong this is. But I guess the question I have, and I think so many have are, you know, how many more is this going to take for people to realize and to understand that it's just like not right. And I, I know some people don't know what to say and nobody's saying the right thing. I think I get paralyzed by my own fear of speaking up. Like, rather than being able to breathe faith and fear into the same sentence, into the same breath, like, that this is undoubtedly wrong. But also, uh, feeling paralyzed as to, or, or frozen is the better word. Like, well, what do I say? And where do I say it? And how do I say it? So that you know, so that those who are listening to me know that, that I'm with you and I'm for you and everything you're feeling is, is acceptable here. But it's kind of one of those things where I don't know if anybody knows what to say. Yeah, but this has been happening. And I, I mean, the history buff in me comes out. I've read book after book. Emmett Till's book came out in 2017. I'm reading, reading The Race Against Time, in which uh, Jerry Mitchell goes back and basically reopens all of civil rights cases that were never tried or were covered up. And to see the parallels today, and this isn't something that uh, you know, it's been spread around on social media and I hate quoting it, but you know, the only difference is, is that now it's on camera. And I mean, there's, there's things and stuff that goes on in our world. That's not fair. And we don't address it until we see it. And even when we do see it, it still doesn't get addressed. And so I think it's just in me, sometimes <laughs> through our time, we've confused protest with other things and we confuse the fact that we had an African-American president as the end of racism, and that's not the case. And we, as women, fight a different fight. I mean, we have all these people fighting for equality, but you can't fight for your own equality. Equality is equality, and that's across the board. So if you're a soul, if you're an individual, and you watch that tape, and you watch that video, and you didn't feel some sort of wrongdoing, that's a problem. And if your first response is that of, well, what about? Or let's wait to hear. Instead of, let me right now listen. This won't change until all of our hearts ache for injustice. It will not. And it breaks my heart that week after week in these stretch of days where so many people are fighting for their lives, their jobs, their health, the health of the people that they love, that it requires a video of indisputable evidence for us to be moved by such injustice that exists so regularly.